me in prayer as we invite our speaker for this morning. Lord Jesus, from the time we started, we've been thinking about your word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the beauty, the glory of this word. And if it wasn't for you, Lord Jesus, we would never know the unseen Father. For no man had seen God at any time, but he, the Son, has made him known to us. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything that is in the Father is in me. I don't do anything without my Father's consent. I and the Father are one. Lord, in shaking your hand, we are brought near to God the Father. You are the one that ushers us back into a relationship with God the Father. And we thank you, Lord, because from him we get our power, we get our identity, we get our purpose for living. And there is somebody listening to me this morning that, have lost that has lost that purpose for living. They've lost the reason why they exist. They move from one fear to the next, from one high to the next, from one uh, relationship to the next, and they've lost the value and the reason for their existence. There are others who are just dead, dead fearful right now, living in fear of God for all that's happening around, and we seem to be losing our grip on the economy, on relationships, on health. Everything around us seems to be falling apart, and yet, Father, more than ever is there hope. Lord, there is someone listening to me this morning that came online just to hear this morning's sermon. In the name of Jesus, I ask that through technology, through convenience, through consistent Wi-Fi uh, service and, and electricity, Lord, you would not allow anything to interrupt your word from your heart to their heart. My prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, let's talk about God's word and how it revives, heals, instructs, and enlightens. We all struggle with thoughts. We all struggle with thoughts. We all struggle with our mind, and our mind and our brain is, it's a battle zone sometimes. Sometimes we can't get sleep. Sometimes we're thinking too much. Sometimes there's anxiety. Our greatest hurts are in our mind. Stored in our mind. Our worst memories are stored in our mind. Our deepest fears lurk in the corridors of our mind. Our wildest battles wage war in the recesses of our minds. There, in this little brain of yours and mine, you and I are in a battle zone. Battle for truth, battle for uh, affection, battle for life. And purpose. And today I want to talk about that mind and how God's word speaks to that mind, how it, it gives life and enlightens, and how God's word will heal the mind no matter what you've been through. I don't know what your father has been saying throughout his life that has perhaps built you or destroyed you. I don't know what your friends told you or how people have uh, loved and left you. But that mind carries every memory. And you are sometimes, you know, the outcome of your thoughts and of your experiences. And you don't want to forget anything because that's who you are. In order to forget that, you would have to become somebody else. Or in order to become something else, you would have to forget what you remember. You see what I'm saying? Our brain, our mind is our portal of identity and of our emotions and of, of our wealth and value. So we are talking about a very dear place, a very... A very a passionate thing in our life, our mind and heart. 
Let me tell you some more about the mind. That is why you don't want to be influenced. That is why you have an opinion. That is why you are strong and you have gates. And the older you get, the stronger those gates and higher those walls get. Because your thoughts and your brain and your opinion and, and, and the seat of your volition is who you are. And when you are, are unprotected and vulnerable in, who you, in what you're thinking, you are unprotected in who you are. So I don't want to take us too deep in a psychology of, of, of identity here, but I do want to lay, and lay a heavy burden on your heart to understand that it's your mind that God understands is the place where all the action happens. The dreams happen. The daydreaming happens. The revisioning happens. The rethinking and the loving and the hating happens. There in the recesses of our mind, we wage a war. And my friend, my brother, my sister, that is where Jesus promises to meet you. That is where he promises to meet you with his peace, to meet you with his voice. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Okay? My sheep hear my voice, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then what does Jesus do with the sheep that follow him? They say, he says, I lead them into green pastures, feeding, protecting, resting, green pastures. And then he says, I lead them beside still waters. Sheep really are, are fearful beings. They get, they get worried by, 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 by the sounds of waves and tossing of waves. They can't handle that. So the shepherd takes them alongside absolutely quiet waters where they calm down. You may think you're fine, you know. You may think you're fine and you've got life under control or your perspectives are solid. But sooner or later... Sooner or later, life will take its toll. Things will happen. People will say stuff. Life is not as rosy as we'd like it to think. And especially you younger ones, in your early teens, I'm not saying life's bad. I'm, I'm not saying your life is going to be horrible. But I'm also not saying that life is going to be great. And that just because you, are, you think you're special or your mother thinks you're special, it doesn't mean life is going to be good to you. Life has its ups and its downs, its battles and its wins. And God wants you to win. For the believer, the mind is the battlefield where our greatest enemy is fought. For the believer, the mind is the battlefield where our greatest enemy is fought. And that greatest enemy is the flesh. There are three enemies of the believer. There is the devil, there is the flesh, and there is the world. The world is the the ideologies, the philosophies, the influences, the colors, the, 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 the indulgences, the temptations all around. That's the world. And then you've got the devil who, uh, who wants to kill you and destroy you because he hates you because you are formed in the image of the Lord Jesus. And then there is the flesh. There's the flesh that wakes up with you and goes to sleep with you and dictates to you. And out of the three, the greatest is actually the flesh. Your greatest enemy is not the devil because half the time your life is not about the purposes of God. So he's not out to get you. Your greatest uh, enemy is not the world because no, they're not thinking about you. Your greatest enemy and my greatest enemy is actually the flesh because it's the flesh that is at war constantly with the things that the spirit wants. That's why I said for us believers, for us believers, the flesh is an enemy. So you're going to have friends for whom the flesh is not an enemy. You see what I'm saying? 
You're going to have colleagues for whom the flesh is not an enemy. They are perfect because that's who they are. But for us believers, we have been revived and resuscitated. We have been resurrected from being dead, just being fleshly. We have been made children of God, having the nature of God and the word of God. And now the flesh becomes at odds with us. So Jesus wants you to be strong. Jesus wants you to be courageous and Jesus wants you to be victorious. Say that again. Jesus wants you to be strong. Jesus wants you to be courageous and Jesus wants you to be victorious. He wants you winning. Where? In the mind. He wants you winning. And for this, he has given you his mind. For this, he has given you his mind. Your mind is a battlefield. Your mind's a mess anyway. Your mind's destroyed, distracted, dissuaded, whatever has happened there. He's not going to fix your mind. He's going to say, give me your mind and let me give you my mind. Look at the scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Who can tell God how to think or what to do or why to do what he does? But we have the mind of Christ. So the ones who have been given the mind of God can think like God, act like God, respond like God, and talk like God. I can't cover all the benefits, not nearly this morning. The blessings that God has in his word, I can't cover all of them this morning. What God does for the, God's word does for the mind. In this short time today, I wish, let me do two things. Let me take two things out. Number one. Let's focus on two main areas. Number one, his word helps us get over old ways of thinking. Okay, there are patterns, there are habits in the way we began to think. We began to think that in a few, uh, few times we did over and over again. It formed a habit. Now we need to break those habits, breaking the old ways of thinking. And the second thing I'd like to look at, attempt to, to, to complete today is, is to think the way Christ thinks. So firstly, God wants me to break the ways I used to think. And the second thing, he wants me to make the ways Christ thinks. How does Christ think? How does he uh, handle life, enemies, values, criticism, cynicism, failure, disappointment, abandonment? How does he handle that? The, the word of God is going to tell us how to do these two things. Let me attempt these two areas where God's word speaks into our life. If you're in your notes, look at number one. His word helps us put away. Uh, underline that word if you may. Put away. That is, you do it. Okay, it is something you do. It is something that is within your power to do. God has given you the word. So he says, your, his word helps us to put away old ways of thinking. Old ways of thinking. How does God's word help me to do that? Well, number one, God's word leads away from the pattern of the world. If the world is thinking in a particular direction, God's word enables you to think in a direction where God is headed. Where God is. His, his willing, God wants, God's perfect will. So God's word leads us away. God's word leads us away from that. Let me, let me look at scripture, please. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed. You got that? Is that in front of you? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Let's stop and look at those two words there. Both have the word form in it. Form, morph, form. Okay? One is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this process of being conformed to the world or being transformed is both in the mind. So God wants to 
take over the minefield. God wants to take over the battlefield that is our mind and win it right there. He says, then you will be able to test and approve. See, if your mind does not know the will of God, you're not listening to me. If the mind does not know the will of God, and if your mind does not understand God's purposes, then how is your mind going to know the will of God? How is it going to do the will of God or even make a decision on your behalf? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, okay, circle then. Then you will be able to test, circle test, and approve, circle approve. See, that's your job. That's why God gives you the word. That's why he gives you a standard. You see, he gives you a standard. He gives you his mind. He lets you know. You know sometimes how you tell your husband or your wife or your children. So, but I told you. I explained it to you. How many times do I explain it to you? See what I'm saying? So God, once he explains it, helps you to test and approve. To test and approve what is God's perfect will for your life. Some people... They just do whatever they want. And they pray over it. They pray over it and decide that what I want is what God is now going to want. Or they don't even bother to check if what they're doing and the direction they're going, whether it's a habit or a relationship or a plan or, or, or a purpose, whatever they're doing, they don't even stop to check if this is not in God's plan. Will it not derail my entire life? Will it not mess me up? Will it not take me away from the goodness of God? You see what I'm saying? So he says, the ability God's word gives me is to test and approve. Say it again, test and approve. Yes, I know this is God's will. So that when you're walking, the Bible says, you will know that this is the way. I will tell you the way and you will walk in it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So a believer is not expected to wander his way through life and godliness. He is accepted, expected to test the way and say, yes, I know this is God's will. This is what God wants. And he's able to walk confidently in that way. I know you're with me. And that's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That whole chapter is amazing, but that was just chapter, verse 2. God's word leads away from the pattern of the world to perfect will, to the perfect will of God. Look at number 2. God's word gives us a new attitude. Boy, do we need that. God's word gives us a new attitude. When people are sharp and smart, they have a bad attitude. They have a smart attitude. They, we call them smart Alex, so we call them smart mouths. When they are sharp, when they, when they think they've got an answer to everything. But when people don't know what to think, don't have answers, they give in to fear. And they have a, a, an inferior attitude. No matter what it is, God's word gives us a new attitude of mind resulting in a new self that is like Jesus. It gives you the mind of Christ. It gives you the attitude of Christ. An attitude of gratitude. An attitude of altitude. To think higher from a different perspective. An attitude of submissiveness. God gives you that attitude. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 please. Verse 22 onwards, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Paul is telling the Ephesus church, he says, you were taught with regard to the former way of life. What were you taught? To put off your old self. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted. Notice the present continuous there. Is being corrupted by what? By what? Underline it. By deceitful desires. By deceitful desires. Let's go back to the top. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. 
the Bible taught you how you used to be, how you used to think, how you used to make decisions, how you used to relate to people, how you used to value people or value yourself. The Bible taught you that. And it taught you to put that off, your old self off, which was being corrupted by what? By the mind, by your deceitful, sinful desires. Then, the, then he says, you were taught on the converse, verse 23, to be made new. In what? In an attitude of your mind. That's where the change happens. The change before the mind happens in the attitude in the mind. So it's you. It's in your hands. You and I decide I want to change. And then we go to God's word and God's word gives us the will and the way and the power to change. So he says the attitude of your minds and to put on what? The new self. The new self. What's this new self like? Is it a new better me? No. It's created to be like God. I hope you're looking at scripture. Created to be like God. How? In true righteousness and holiness. God wants you to be like Jesus. Now listen to me. God wants you to be like Jesus. And we have two minds. We have the mind of our old self. The old self and what we used to be, what we were like, without the spirit of God, without the truth of God, without the word of God, without the permission of God. We lived however we went. Every man his own way. Every man his own way. Thinking he's right in his own way. We did whatever we wanted. We developed, developed patterns. We developed, developed thinking. We developed solutions. And we also got hurt. And we also hurt. We also got hurt. And we also hurt. Here. In the old self. And in this transition between here and the new self. Where God gives us a new mind. His mind. To put on a new self. Which has the attitude of Christ. In order to know the righteousness of God. What is the word he used there? He uses the words. Created in true righteousness and holiness. Underline that. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this transition that happens. From my old mind to my new mind. From my mind to Christ's mind is where God's word does its work. God's word goes deep. God's word is a sword. God's word is a, is a scalpel. And it's able to cut deep into the crevices and the, the sinews and divide bone and marrow. God's word is what helps to do that. I'm not covering all of this today. But I'm talking about how God's word does help. It helps in the area of mental illness. And I want to do an entire series on that. On that. I, want to, I want to give it enough thought and give it enough uh, time for us to you know, chew on that so that when we get into small groups and home groups, we'll be able to work through that. The brain is an, is, is an organ. Just like any other part of our body, it's an organ. And sometimes the brain doesn't work. And our nature and our nurture both result in sometimes mental illnesses. And mental illness doesn't mean just wacko. We think mental illness is, he's lost it, he's gone off. His, no, mental illness is when you keep behaving the same way and expect a different result. When you don't want to change, but you expect everybody else to change. When you're in denial about how things are and just are unwilling to recognize what people have been screaming at you of about the way things actually are. When you are unaware of your surroundings and unaware about yourself and what you're really like. And you come off to people and you find yourself, uh, you find yourself uh, uh, um, offending people constantly. Or you find yourself uh, breaking relationships or losing people constantly. And you see this result, but you can't understand. Why. There's mental illness. 
There's mental illness. And just like you would gladly admit that you have a fever or that you have a break in a, in a bone or that you have a, a emotional or a physical sickness, why can't we agree that we have a mental sickness? And that we come to God's word saying, Lord, heal me. It's messing up my life. God's word talks to our mental illnesses. God's word talks to the voices in our head. Some of you have voices in your head and you think you're going nuts. You think you're going mad. And these are not, these are, this is not a joke. It's real. And sometimes the voices are so real and the relatability or the, or, or the what's the right word? The relevance of what those voices are saying is very much about your life and what you're going through. So you actually sometimes make decisions based on those voices. Sometimes some of you are listening to me this morning and you know that you have this problem, you have this struggle. And God's word and God's promises have power in them to overcome the voices that are in your head. No, you are not going mad. No, you are not different to everybody else. No, you do not live, need to live in fear or need to uh, be fearful of being alone because that's when, when you're asleep or when you're alone or when you're aloof, those voices become louder. God's word enlightens you. It gives you new ideas. It gives you new thoughts and perspectives. It opens doors that, opens doors that wasn't opened before. God's word does that. I've covered in a previous uh, uh, passage, in a previous series, I've covered about the lies we're told and how God's word speaks to the lies we're told. God's word speaks to the mind because it is a battlefield. And he says, here, when Satan says this to you, say this to him. When Satan says this to you, say this to him. When the world says this to you, say this back to the world. When you think like this, you overcome it with this word. God's word gives you the alternative, the anecdote, the antidote to what the world says. And that battle in the mind can be won over by the powerful promises and, and claims of God. No, 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 we're not talking about positive thinking. No, 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 I'm not talking about positive thinking, I'm not talking about, you know, mindfulness and all of that great stuff that the world has, because uh, they had to figure out how, how, to, how to, you know, put that stuff together anyway. But God's word enables you to deal with what is happening in your life, what's in your mind, the battlefield in your mind. And when there's a battle raging in your mind, God's word first calms the battle and then speaks peace into it. God's word comes the battle, speaks peace into it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not like the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be dismayed. For God is an ever-present help in trouble. For God speaks to his own and he reminds them that he is his. For the peace of God has become the peace of our mind. God's word speaks into our hearts. We use God's word as a helmet of salvation. Why? Because that's where the doubts are. And when I wear a helmet, it protects my head, my mind. You need a helmet of salvation. That's the part of the armor of God that he's given to you. Using God's word to claim mental territory back, where Satan has destroyed a part of your memory, destroyed a part of your personality, God's word will bring you back and heal you. Go, using God's word to, defer, to uh, defeat doubt, to fight doubt and despair, to fight forgiveness and, and, and help you forget what you've been through, God's word can do that. God's word can encounter the devil's lies. God's word can make you and help you to think like Jesus and can heal you from your past. I told you, I'm not covering these things today. But what I am saying is that the word of God will do that. So when you go to the word of God saying, Lord, I've been struggling with lust. 
I need to get out of it. I need to break the habits that I have physically developed because I struggle with mental lust. I need to break the habit, the physical habits that I have developed because I have a mental problem with the need for attention, the need for affirmation, the need for money or the need for enjoyment, whatever it be. Once you recognize it, you can go to scripture and say, Lord, I need you to break this in my mind. God will give you victory. God will give you victory. Look at a third one that I've put down there. God's word builds guardrails. God's word builds guardrails for our minds as we, uh, as we take every thought. I remember driving many years ago in Missouri and some of these hilly parts of our country. And as we went to the sides, we think, wow, you know, some of the other developed countries, how they have guardrails on the side, like that saves any of them. But uh, how they have guardrails on the side, you think, I wish our country... On the flip side, on awesome people are awesome videos. We see how a person is able to drive the bus one one wheel off the ledge, and we think he's amazing. So I don't know what we really want to see, but the point of the matter is that that God's word gives those guardrails so that we don't. My father used to use the word, the phrase, "fly off the handle." We don't fly off the handle. We can allow ourselves to think anything we want, especially when we're alone. Especially when we're watching TV, especially when we're going through a difficult period in our life, always stressed, always tired. Listen to me, you're not listening to me. You give yourself the permission to think any and everything you want. You send your mind out like a bunch of cows to graze. You send your minds out like the dogs, just let them loose. Who let the dogs out? You did. My dad used to call it flying off the handle. We just go and the thoughts point, 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 like a little arcade, game arcade. We are all over the place. And then you come back and you say, I don't know why I'm so stressed. I don't know why I'm not able to think clearly. It is the opposite of meditation. Did you know that? There is you and there is meditation. There is my mind and there is focus. It's the opposite of it. And right now, the reason you can see me clearly is because one guy is dedicated to focusing. You get me? If you don't focus on God, if you don't focus on his word, you're not going to see what you need to see. Everything else becomes more and more important. We let our minds off the hook. Look at what Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 through 8 says. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. See the contrast Paul uses there? Anything, everything. So in anything, don't be anxious. In everything by prayer. So if I'm not being anxious about anything, I'm also alternating that with prayer in everything. And what kind of prayer? Supplication prayer. Thanksgiving prayer. Supplication prayer. Thanksgiving prayer. Supplication is asking. Thanksgiving is saying thanks. You you ask and you thank in the same breath. You ask and you thank in the same breath. No, it's not manipulation, emotional manipulation. It is faith saying, Lord, I agree that what I'm asking you, you will give to me. Okay? Let your requests be made known to God. Tell him what you want. Then what happens? Look at your scripture. Then what happens? And Amazon delivers your prayer. No. It says, and the peace of God. 
That's the problem. We don't want peace. We don't. <laughs> I don't even know how to anecdote this. I, we, don't, we don't really want peace. What we want is that thing we want. We want that situation. We want that, that, those marks. We want that, the results. We don't want peace. But he says the peace of God which is beyond understanding. We don't, are not able to explain this peace. The peace of God will what? Here's the thing. Guard your heart. Let's break this down. You come to God and instead of anxiety, instead of worrying, you ask God in prayer. Now what was your problem? The problem was anxiety. What was your solution? You didn't be anxious about anything, but you accepted everything to God, or supplied everything to God in prayer. You, you, in your supplication, you said, Lord, I'm making my request known to you. Now, you have put anxiety aside. You have placed your trust before God. What do you need to do now, which is the most toughest thing to do in life? Wait. Wait. And what happens when we wait? We doubt. <laughs> we doubt. We look at the clock. We think, why couldn't God do this any faster? Has God forgotten? Maybe I should ask him again. Maybe I should ring the doorbell again. Or maybe I just give up and I walk away. So what, what happens? As soon as I put anxiety aside, are you with me? And then I put my supplication to God. Then the peace of God guards my mind. Because he knows from the time you have put that away and supplied your, your request to God, from the time you have placed your prayer before God, there is going to be a waiting period when God works, works and waits in his time. Until then, what you need is for your mind to stay focused. I have told God about it. I have prayed about it. Now let me wait. Are you getting this? I've told God about it. Let me wait. What do I need? I need guardrails from my mind so that I will not give in to doubt and much less slip back into anxiety. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he gives us a system of guardrails. He gives us a, a system of guardrails. He says, whatever things, brother, sister, whatever things are listed with me, whatever things are true, Come on, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence in this, if there's anything worthy of praise in it, think. Think. So you go back to verse 22, he says, don't worry. Number two, he says, pray. And then he says, think. He doesn't say feel. He doesn't say worry again he doesn't dream he says think but you choose what to think about you choose does this have value does this have worth and you put guardrails to your mind guardrails to your mind that means you control every thought by reins look at the scripture it kind of gives us a better picture of that uh, 2 corinthians 10 verse 5 we destroy arguments ha <laughs> ha we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god how do we do that we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Is that the control level you have of your mind? Oh. I'd like to challenge you. Is that the control level you have of your mind? When in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night, when you're tired, when you're fresh, is that the control level? You know, every thought that's going through this brain of mine is going to go through me. Hmm. Every thought that goes through my mind is going to go through me first. 
I will decide whether this thought remains or doesn't remain. I will decide. And if a thought is meandering away, you get it? If a thought, is, a thought process begins to go away from Christ, is beginning to go against Christ, you grab it. And you bring it and make it submissive to Christ and say, Jesus is your Lord and you're going to submit to him. Think the way he thinks. That kind of tenacity, militant form of thinking with regard to battling your mind is what's going to give you the peace of God and the purposes of God in your life. Nothing less than that. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's intentional thinking that makes us who we are. God's word builds guardrails. And one more thing I might add to you is God's word makes us disciplined, courageous, and purpose-driven. God's word makes us disciplined, courageous, and purpose-driven. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. One of my favorite verses, he says this. He says, for the spirit God gave us. Okay, do that again. For the spirit God gave us. Is that a capital S or a small s? It should be a capital S. It's the Holy Spirit. This spirit does not make us timid. It is the opposite of timid. It is a spirit of power. It is a spirit of love. And it is a spirit of self-discipline. This spirit gives us power. So first I have peace. Then I have power. I know what I believed. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my God has heard me. I know my God has not shortened his arm to save me. I know my God goes before me. I know his word is there for me. I know his peace is mine. I know every promise in the book is mine. You get what I'm saying? So first he gives you peace so that you don't doubt. Then he gives you power in order to stay focused. He makes you disciplined so that you are there for others instead of yourself. That is purpose driven and he makes you courageous. For the spirit of God is not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. My dear brother and sister, you and I, my dear friend, you and I, we may struggle with our bodies a little bit, but patti ke, we become okay. We may struggle with our emotions, but there's always ice cream. But what do you do when your mind is disturbed? What do you do when your mind is torn? How do you get peace of mind without losing a purpose of mind? How do you get peace of mind without losing purpose of mind? And the answer is, he takes your broken mind and he gives you his mind. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your way is higher than my ways. He gives you his mind. What is the obvious thing that would happen if somebody gave you their mind I know it's a scary ordeal but if somebody gave you God who's perfect who's filled with love and happiness I'm giving you the answer if someone who had a perfect mind, a happy mind a joyful mind a, a, a focused mind, a creative mind, an all-powerful mind, a, 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 a driven mind. If someone gave you that mind, what would you have? Number one, you'd have a clear understanding of that person. You'd understand how they think. And number two, you'd be able to have that peace, that joy, that purpose, that discipline, that everything that that person has. You get what I'm saying? So God has not just given you a little bit of peace which your mind can handle. Uh-huh. He's not just giving you a little piece that your mind can handle. He's given you his mind. So God does not give peace of mind. He gives you his mind which is at peace. 
If God gave you peace of mind, you'd lose it. So God's word is all about getting his mind to you in words, in thoughts, in sentiments. His word helps us to think the way Christ gives, about who he is. How did Jesus think about who he was? John chapter 10 verse 29 says, My father, Jesus didn't say our father, Jesus said my father, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the hand. Then he says, my father and I are one. I and my father are one. He knew exactly who he was. He gives you that ability to think about your identity. He roots your identity in the Father. He gives you a purpose for, his, for life. Jesus knew his purpose for life from the day he was born. You meet him at the age of 12 in the temple and Jesus says, you should have known I would have been in my father's house because I've come to do my father's business. I know who I am, therefore I know what I need to do. Aha, got that? I know who I am, therefore I know what I'm supposed to do. God gives you a clear purpose in life. You are never messed up about your purpose. You're never, you know, blurred about the purpose of your life when you know who you are. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew from the day one of his life what he came here to do. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what he came to do. He came to bring his church back to himself, to redeem his bride, to cleanse his bride with his own blood, to prepare her for himself, to pray over her, to speak to her. Remind, just, just write that down somewhere so you'll remember. Husbands, write it down somewhere. You are called to love your wife. Okay, how do you love your wife? Two ways. Number one, you speak to her and you speak over her. I don't mean volume. You speak to her and you speak over her. How does the Lord Jesus show love to his bride? He speaks to the church, loving tones, tender words. He speaks to the church. He, 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 he what's that word? He comforts his church. He promises his church. He reminds his church that he's coming back. He, promise, he, he re-engages his church constantly. He renews and revives his church. He, he, and then the second thing he does, John 17, in heaven, he prays for his church. He prays for his church. So a husband is one who speaks to his wife lovingly with promises, with words of encouragement, with affirmation, not telling her how fat she is and what a loser she is. She already knows that. You are there to tell her what God thinks of her. You are there to tell her what you think of her in, in affectionate tones. If you are a loving husband, you will talk to her. So speak to and speak over. And I want to tell you man, men today, whether you have a wife or you're going to have a wife, you are called to love your wife. And this is what God is saying. Your mind is very important. And God has also given you the care of your wife's mind. I know, scary. But God has given you your mind, which got you into, this, into a relationship with his wife. Right? So let's be happy about that. And the second thing is God gives you her mind. The church is the bride of Christ. And the two things he does is he speaks to the church. So you don't talk 
down to your wife. Talk to your wife with words that build her up, words that strengthen her, words that affirm her, words that encourage her. But even more than that, speak over her. So the Lord Jesus in John 17 prays a high priestly prayer. And you, my dear brother, my dear man, you are priest over her. And you do the work of a priest, which means her mind becomes something you pray over. You know that she worries all the time? Do you know that she's insecure with every passing year? Do you know that when she goes through a period in a month, she, her, her mind is all over the place and it becomes a jumble of emotions. And in all of that, she is constantly worried about what she's thinking, worried about the future, worried about her, her security, worried about whether you are with, really want her or not. Can you imagine that? God wants... The, the, your wife wants you to wants to know whether you want her or not. Even there, there are moments when her mind goes berserk, and God has called you to speak to her and speak over her. So you are a high priest in the home, which means you are called, like Jesus in John 17, to pray over your wife's mind. Pray over your mind for sure, by all means. I'm doing it as well for you. But you pray over your wife's mind. Lord, strengthen her mind. Fill her mind with peace, Lord. She's worried, she's concerned about the children, about me, about the future, about health, about viruses. Lord, pray over her mind. When she speaks out of her mind or speaks her mind, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Don't, let it, don't, don't make it about you. Stop and ask. If that's a mind out of control, who is going to love that mind back into control? And she's looking at you and as she's screaming and yelling and she's lost control of her mind, her words and emotions, she's looking at you saying, come on, strain me down, pull me out, get, get, help me, help me. And you sit there taking everything personally and fighting your own thoughts and defending yourself. And in the meantime, the wife of your youth, the wife that you have chosen to love, unlike Christ, remains alone in the dark and feels even more abandoned. Am I making you feel guilty? Good. Nothing like guilt to get us back to Jesus and say, Lord, what's a husband supposed to be like? Oh, but I'm paying the bills. No, you're not. No, you're not. God is paying the bills through you. God is looking after your wife through you. God has made you a conduit to her. To love her, to care for her, to provide for her, and to protect her. And if she's not being cared for, not being loved, not being protected, and not being spoken to and spoken over, then something's wrong with the channel. Not with her. Maybe another day I'll talk to the wives. But today, husbands, our mind is our battleground. We struggle with lust. We struggle with temptation. We struggle with betrayal. We struggle with... Uh, we struggle with faithfulness. We do struggle. But you know what? She also struggles. And as a priest, you are called to pray over her mind. Speak to her and speak over her. Look at that verse and read it for the, for, in a fresh way. Read it in a fresh way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus knew the purpose of his life. To come, to serve, to get his wife back, his, his bride back, 
and to speak over her as he does right now. And lastly, he knew where his allegiance lied. He knew where his allegiance laid. Uh, John 6.38 says, For I've come down from heaven. I've come down from heaven. He knew where he's come from. Uh, not for my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We're not on earth to do our own thing. Believers, we're not on earth to do our own thing. Like Jesus, if we are in Christ, then we are on earth for a purpose described and, and destined by God himself. We are not on earth to do our own thing if we are in Christ. Let me close. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Lord Jesus left the Holy Spirit to do the work in the hearts of the believers so that you are under control, your mind is under control. So we take every thought captive and we make it obey Christ. The Holy Spirit is our tutor to help us control our mind. I'm going to say it again. I hope the lights come on. The Holy Spirit is our tutor to help us control the mind. So you have two things. You have the word of God and you have the person of God. You have the Holy Spirit and you have the holy word of God. And you have every capacity to control your mind, to heal your mind, to revive your mind, to renew your mind. What's your commitment going to be today? What's your commitment going to be today? Our mind is God's sanctum. Our mind is God's sanctum. It is also our throne room where the will is executed. Where the fight for the will is won. Let God into your sanctum and let his word dictate your thoughts. Decide and commit to bringing every thought captive. Don't excuse yourself to be able to say what you want, feel what you want, fly off the handle. Bring every thought captive and you will experience healing. You will experience a new identity you have in Jesus. Stay focused your mind on Christ. Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Stop walking around the front room. Stop any movement. Just settle down. There's a moment where God wants to do business with you. You've asked for healing for your bodies myriads of times. You've asked healing for your emotions and for your hurts and pains. And we've preached about it and we've talked about it. We've had groups about it. But what about your mind? No, you don't want God to touch that. Because that's where you are you. That's where you make your mind up. That's where you have your will. My brother, my sister, bow every thought to Christ. And find him, fill your heart and life with the peace and the purposes of God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you have taught us. Thank you, Father God, for how much we mean to you. And for the fact that you understand that we are feeble, we are made of dust. Our emotions are all over the place. Our health is all over the place. Our thoughts are all over the place. And like a good husband, you string us down. You bring us under control in a beautiful, loving way. And then you speak words of affirmation and joy and fulfillment and promise over us. You are mine. I have engraved you in the palm of my hands.
You are the apple of my eye. Whoever the Father puts in my hand, nobody can snatch. I come to, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Till we wait for you, Lord Jesus, help us to fix our minds on you. This morning, in the name of Jesus, as people listen to my voice, I pray healing over their mind, their brain. If they're having imbalance of hormones, I pray for healing. If they're having imbalance of any kind of uh, resources that the body needs to physiologically provide to their brain, I pray healing over them. If their mind is swayed and, and, and torn apart by words that have been spoken to them, and those words even today dictate, even though they were spoken many years ago, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give them sanctified amnesia. Change them, heal them, clean their minds, O oh God. More than anything, Lord, give them the ability, the attitude, the new mind, the peace of God, the, the mind of Christ, to be able to know and approve and test the perfect will of God. I pray for healing for those with mental illnesses, imbalances, I pray for healing this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healing. In the name of Jesus, I ask this prayer because you are Jehovah Rapha. You are God, our healer. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore. Amen.